With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, everybody. Welcome to episode 428 of the Professional Book Nerds podcast presented by Overdrive. This is Adam, joined by Jill. How's it going? Good. Uh, we're still working from home. So we are. We're recording all these ahead of time. We are. You can tell how authentic we are. Uh Today's all you. This is your interview. Yeah. So, so I got to do an interview at um, PLA. Well, I did several interviews at PLA. You did. But this one is one I did with um, Sharon Cameron about her book, Light in Hidden Places. It is about um, – first, this was like a wonderful interview, um, but also the topic of the book um, – hearing her talk about it i got i got super emotional yeah (laughs) um it is a it's based on a true story of a young girl stefania who is in poland she is catholic and um is put into a position where she hides um jews and then there are also nazis living in her house as well so the jews are up in the attic and there are nazis downstairs and they are all living in the same house and she has to keep everyone you know, safe. Um, and we also were joined in the interview by Stefania's son, who talks a little bit about his parents um, and and his mom. And it was just, it's, it was a wonderful, wonderful interview. And I'm so glad I got the chance to interview them. Yeah, when you told me who was going to be there, and like then you told me got emotional. I felt really bad because I feel like this was this was one of those interviews. Like, I thought I was going to interview them, yeah. And then I was like, well, Jill's going to be at PLA, yeah. And then you're like, yeah, I was like a lot. And I was it like, was, oh, man. I'm no, it was, it was great. Um, yeah, it was it was good. I'm excited for you guys to listen to the interview and hear Stefania's story and um, and read the book. Yeah, this is on my TBR list. I have it at home on my, uh, on, on my stack of books next to my bed. Uh, if people want to get a hold of us, you can always go to professionalbooknerds.com. There you'll find all of our episodes. And you can also... Find us on Twitter and Instagram at ProBookNerds, or you can shoot us an email at ProfessionalBookNerds at Overdrive.com. If you are, like we mentioned on Monday, at home for a while and you need some more book recommendations, just shoot us an email or a tweet. We'll be happy to deliver on those. Anything else you think people should know about? Yes, we can't guarantee our next Thursday episode. Yes, that's true. We <laughs> Just to like get that out of the way, we are thankfully we are good on Monday episodes. You guys... We got a lot of author interviews coming your way over the next few months, like through June, I think, we're I, booked. I think we are, I because you put all the ones in from your... PLA I did, show. and I had one of our coworkers on the publisher team asked me about an opening, and I was mm-hmm. like, June. June is our next opening. Yeah. So we have author interviews for you, but like I'm sure many of you, things are a little up in the air, Yeah. Um, and until we can come up with some sort of alternative recording option, we can't, we don't know. Yeah, we don't know. Um, it will be, in theory, that following Thursday would be the 26th, and that would be the last one of the month. Correct. Which would be our, our April books. But Hopefully we'll, we can come up with something. Yeah, we'll figure something out, and if we don't, we'll do it a week late, mm-hmm. and it won't be the end of the world. It'll be okay. Um, but yeah, okay, anything else? That I think, think is everything. Okay, all right. Well, I hope you guys enjoy this interview that Jill did uh, with Sharon Cameron on the Professional Book Nerds podcast. 
Hi everyone, this is Jill, and with me I have New York Times bestselling author Sharon Cameron. Her books have won the Parents' Choice Gold Award and the Westchester Fiction Award. Her latest book, The Light in Hidden Places, is out March 3rd, and we are also joined by the son of the um, protagonist, essentially, yes, right? Yeah, correct. Uh, Ed Berminski. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast, you guys. Thank you for having us. Good to be here. I'm so glad you're here. So. Sharon, can you start by giving our listeners a brief introduction to the light in hidden places? Yes, I would love to do that. Um, Stefania Podgorska was uh, someone that I became aware of in the early 1990s. Um, it was very much by accident. I turned on my television um, in the middle of the afternoon, and and there she was, and she was telling the story of her life. And I sat down, and I was. I was riveted. I, I couldn't stop listening. And I, she described being a 16-year-old Polish Catholic teenager in German-occupied Poland um, who ha- was alone. She was destitute. She um, had the sole care of her six-year-old sister, Helena. Um, and they heard a knock on the door in the middle of the night. And on the other side of the door was a young Jewish man named Max Diamant, and he was broken and bloody because he had just jumped from a moving train that was taking him to a death camp. Um, And he begged for one night, please hide me for one night. And Stefania and Helena chose to hide him and they hid him for many more nights than that. And eventually his brother and also his brother's fiance until they had 13 Jews behind a false wall in an attic. Um, And that is when there was another knock on the door. This time it was two German officers requisitioning their house for staff quarters. Um, They had another huge choice to make. They, They refused to leave. And instead of being shot as they had been promised, Um, the officers came back and said, actually, we can just use one bedroom. So the Nazis moved in, and now these two girls had 13 Jews in an attic directly over the heads of four sleeping Nazis, Nazis. and only the two of them to stand in between. And so I sat there on my couch listening to this woman and what she was telling me was one of the most amazing stories of resourcefulness, resilience, bravery, humanity, heroism. I, I, I had never heard anything like it. And she instantly became my hero that day. Yeah, that's an amazing story. Yes. So I, I wanted more than anything. That was long before I had decided to become a writer. Okay. And, I, and I never forgot her story for... I'll, over 20 years right um until i was a writer and it said i you know what this is I the story, story i want to tell <laughs> yes right yes. right and ed what is it like for you having your mom's story told in such a really wonderful book well i tell you it's um you know sometimes you really have to be careful what you wish for <laughs> because a couple of years ago i was thinking uh, my mom's story has been known but it was kind of becoming a little bit um, uh, forgotten, I'd say. So I kind of said to myself, I really need to get um, find someone who can raise the awareness of my mom globally, mm-hmm. because of you know her her what she did really was a story of compassion, yep. 
towards other human beings, of tolerance towards different types of people, and courage. But it was a silent courage, and she couldn't say what she was doing. She just had to do what she did very silently. And um, um, so when I put that out there to the world, Sharon manifested herself. <laughs> I, I did a little shameless internet stalking. <laughs> and I discovered that Stefania had actually married one of the men that she saved. And the product of that was Ed. And he was incredibly kind and open to the idea of someone writing a book about his parents. Mm -hmm. um, so we, uh, we talked it over. Um, Ed took me to meet his mom, um, which was one of the great privileges of my life. Um, she was suffering from dementia at the time. Um, she did not know she met me, but I will never ever forget meeting her. I think it's an enormous thing to sit in the presence yeah. of someone that you have really taken into your heart as the, as a person to look up to and admire and that you want to be like if you possibly could. Yeah. Um, and Stevania actually passed away during the writing of this book, um, but three weeks after her funeral, um, Ed and I went to Poland to research her life, um, and it was pretty incredible. We had, um, we spent a couple of weeks in Poland. Uh, we interviewed um, one of the rescue uh, who still survives. Wow. Uh, she's in her 80s, late 80s, a wonderful woman, very warm lady. Mm -hmm. uh, always stayed very close in touch with our family. Uh, she was very open and very forthcoming about um, uh, that time, and particularly about my mom, my mom and dad uh, as well. And we uh, traveled to Poland to visit with my aunt, Helena, who was the young girl mm -hmm. that uh, is the other protagonist. She uh, was just as much of a hero as her sister. She was such an amazing child. She was yep. like a little girl. She was just yeah. a kid yeah. at the time. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's, for me, like one of the things that strikes me so much about this story is that when you look at history and the way that... Um, I guess the media portrays people in that position of saving Jews. It tends to be men, it tends to be adult men, and yet we have these these two girls. They're really not that old, and they no. they take on this tremendous task with such courage and grace. And it's just incredible that, <laughs> like, so I'm so glad you know you had the opportunity to share that story. And I think being able to walk in those footsteps. Um, in Poland um, and being able to really be inside her head because Ed, the other thing Ed shared with me was his mother's unpublished memoir. Oh, wow. um, and so we got, I got such a insight into that time mm -hmm. for her. And then to, to be there, to stand in the attic of Tatarska Street and realize what that space must have felt like um, there were 13 people there stacked like sardines. Um, they couldn't turn without all of them turning. You, the, it had to be absolutely silent. You could not sneeze, you could not snore, you could not make a noise because that noise meant discovery and that meant death. Right. And it was a horrific situation, um, but it was, it was a 
incredible act of endurance on their part. And it was a, such an incredible act of love and courage on Stefania and Helena's part. Yep. Um, and just a steadfastness in the idea of this is the right thing to do. We are doing the right thing and we will do it to our deaths. Right. And I just don't think we have many people who are ready to stand up against hate and make that kind of choice right. these days. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And in that sense, though, I think it is like a timely book, despite the fact that when it takes place, there's a lot of themes and elements that I think everyone can kind of understand this idea of standing up against hate and just... Absolutely. I, you know, it is, it is certainly a history that I never want anyone to forget. Um, but at the same time, it is absolutely a story, a story for now. And on a deeper level, since they were young and they did what they did out of compassion, it's a story about young people who matter. Yep. They didn't set out, my mom didn't set out, cross, fold her arms and say, I'm going to stand up to the Nazi regime. She just did what was right. Mm -hmm. She mattered. And the story there is that one act, one thought, one person can change the world. Yep. And from that messaging perspective, connecting with younger people these days who particularly feel maybe they don't matter, maybe they can't make a difference. Yes, they can. And through the story, we, we empower or we inspire young people to feel that yes, they do matter. You can make a difference from the choices that you choose. You may not know where those choices are gonna lead, but follow your heart, you know what's right do what's right yeah and, absolutely and and I think that you know that's a message that is not just for young people I mean I think the story is very inspiring for young people because of the age of Stefania and Helena but this is this is a story for everyone um, this is a story for every adult out there this yes. story challenges all of us I know it challenged me um, to ask myself the question yep. would I be able to open the door would I be able to do what they did and I think that's an important question for anyone to ask at any age um, because that small choice made in our head ahead of time prepares us for the time right um, so I, th I really believe that Stefania had prepared herself she had made a decision long before she opened that door that there was no difference between her skin and the skin of a Jew in her city. Yeah. And that small choice prepared her for the larger choices. And I think that is something that everyone needs to challenge themselves with no matter, no matter what their age. I think it's interesting you mentioned sort of earlier that it's this idea of quiet courage because they couldn't tell anyone because exactly. they were putting themselves at risk. And of course, you know, you think about... Um, these days where everything everybody knows everything and if the little choices everybody knows and just I can't even imagine like having not being able to tell anybody that must have been so difficult because they're struggling with this knowledge and this I mean they're I'm sure like they knew they made the right choice but you don't have anyone to talk to about it I, exactly and I, th I think that's a weight that both Stefania and Helena had to had to carry and it is something that is is so different than now when we we 
talk about our dinner on social right, media. You right. know, every, everything, every, all the information, yeah. you know, is at our fingertips. But the biggest thing in their life they could not talk, they about. talk about. You know, particularly, I think, for Helena, who was um, such a small child and was carrying the responsibility of 13 lives. Right. And was very aware of what would happen and had seen what happened to other people who harbored Jews. And was she was very aware of what any word from her meant. So it was she couldn't play with other children. She couldn't. She had to be very much alone. Yeah. And um, and that that's a hard thing. Um, but I don't think that either one of them regretted what they did. Right. And and in any way. Right. Um, it was the circumstance. But they but they knew in their hearts that yeah. that was the right thing. And I don't think they would have done anything different. In fact. It's Mom Stefania said many times, I, I would not have changed oh, what I did. And actually, they, they continued. Because fast forward to when we were living in Boston, uh, my parents had a little brownstone apartment building, and there was a fire in an apartment building around the corner, a very large apartment building. And it was, uh, it was uh, late in the fall, so it was cold in Boston, rainy. And I knew one of the uh, Red Cross guys there, and he told me that they didn't have room for everybody that needed to be, you know, housed. So I went back to my parents, told them what had happened, and it was funny because they didn't really say anything. They just kind of looked at each other, and then they looked at me and they said, "Well, bring some people over." So we had um, we had nine people living with us. Um, we had a little basement apartment. It was fully furnished and all that for two weeks. And it was, there was just no question. Bring that is in. amazing. I'm like crying over here. <laughs> yes. Yes. I, I they think, were good people. I think, I think they both have, both Max and um, Stefania, have such an incredible legacy of, of love, of yeah. compassion, of stopping hate in its tracks. Yes, and for sure. And, uh, and even those who were persecuted, my dad, um, he had to change his name from Max Diama, which was a very Jewish name, um, because after the war there were still people who uh, were not happy with Jews and were pursuing them. In fact, he was pursued. So he changed his name to Joseph Rzminski, which is a very Polish name, and that's they used that as they emigrated and came to America. And he was the kind of guy that, he was a dentist, he was the kind of guy that would just in the middle of the night get a call from a patient saying, I have an emergency. He'd get his gown on and he'd be ready to go downstairs. We had an office downstairs to help. He was a healer and he was true to his profession. When they were in Poland after the war, um, my dad was a dentist and um, it was under communist Soviet rule. It was a German soldier, prisoner of war, that was brought to my father for dental work. And um, the soldier said to my dad, or the Russian soldier said to my dad, this is a German soldier, he needs help. My father said, I'm a Jew. And the soldier said, and oh, the, the German guy said, oh, and you're, are you okay to work on me? And my father said, I'm a healer, sit down, I'm gonna fix you. That is incredible. And and he had every reason not to do that. Right. But I think I think their legacy is very much one of of stopping the cycle. Mm-hmm. Yes. That's that's what they did. Yes. They tried to stop the cycle. Do, in their words, don't perpetuate the hate. Right. 
I'm sort of a two-parter. Um, how much of their story did you know when you were growing up? And sort of tied to that, when you were in Poland doing research, was there any surprises that you discovered? I really didn't find out much about what they did until 1979 when I was uh, a freshman in high school. Um, many of those who were rescued got together and um, talked to Yad Vashem in Israel, which is um, uh, recognizing righteous Gentiles, and um, had my mom honored uh, with a medal of the just. And, and uh, Helena. And well. Helena, of course. Yeah. Uh, Helena was in Poland, so she stayed and she was under this Soviet rule. My mother, obviously, we were in Boston. Um, and that's when I first started to find out about what they did uh, and who they were. And it was it's kind of mind-boggling to me. But growing up, you know, it was kind of interesting because whenever there was a sale at the grocery store on like two-liter bottles of Coke, all of a sudden we'd have like 30 bottles of Coke stuffed <laughs> into the closet and dry food and canned food stuffed all over the place. And my dad was a good provider. He was a, a dentist and he wasn't a businessman, he was a healer, but he, he provided well. So they bought a little building. Um, they had, my dad would buy some jewelry. They bought some furs. And you know, for me, I thought it was just, oh, they're doing well, the American dream. Yeah. But then as I was speaking with some other people at an event, they drew my attention to, it wasn't that. It's so that they would have things to trade. They would have a, a, a building where they could hide or hide others. And the furs and the jewelry, that was all, those were the commodities yep. to yes. trade. And it never dawned on me until that connection was made. Yeah. So they, they were always preparing. And then they were prepared for these people from the fire. And right. Yes, exactly. I, I think during, during our trip, the most surprise there were many surprising things for me um, because after I read the memoir Stefania's memoir that Ed shared with me I realized the story was so much deeper than the interview that I had heard so long ago mm -hmm. um, there was so much more but I, I think the the biggest thing that struck me from that trip that the thing that will never leave me is being a person who considers themselves a student of history, I would never say I'm an expert in any area, but it is my, it is where my head goes, it is where I spend my time, it's where I do my reading, it's where I do a lot of my learning, and I, and I do continue that all the time. And I went to Poland knowing about World War II, knowing probably more than most people who would walk the streets about right. World War II, and I knew about the Holocaust. I understood what happened in the camps. I had listened to hours of personal histories and testimonies about people's experiences. I thought I knew. And when I went to the city of Shemesh, where Stefania and Max lived, and we stood in the ghetto, and I stood at the bullet-ridden wall where 1,500 Jewish women and children were shot to death, their bodies burned in enormous piles that covered the city in a greasy soot. I realized I didn't actually know anything about the Holocaust. When I held Helena's hand and she was crying because these memories are too painful to bear even now, so many years later, I realized I knew nothing about the Holocaust. When I stood inside 
the gas chambers of Auschwitz, they take you in as a group and they let you stand there in silence inside the gas chambers. And I cannot describe to you the heaviness of that place, the stink of that place. It will probably always stink. I realized I knew absolutely nothing about the Holocaust. I knew things in my head, but I had not felt what I needed to feel. And that is what I came away with that was so important. And I realized why I needed to write this book and why this book needed to be out in the world, particularly as a, as a work of fiction, because it is through story that we learn our truth. Yeah. And I wanted the truth of this story to not only be known by the reader, I wanted it to be felt by the reader. I wanted the reader to feel the weight of every decision that she had to make. That's why the book is in first person, which is a little more unusual for historical fiction. But I wanted the reader to feel that because when we feel it, we will not forget it. Yep. That will stay with you forever. And I, I think that is what was so important to me to get across when I came home and wrote nonstop and created this book. And it's amazing, yeah. The Holocaust is a very difficult and tragic time right. in history. Uh, and it's difficult to teach because it's, it's so obviously so very dark. There were many rescuers. There were actually thousands of rescuers. The story of Stefania Podgurska and Helena Podgurska, well, spoiler, it has a happy ending, <laughs> right? Ed's here. <laughs> but the, the reason why it is important is because it does have a happy ending and it shows a side where there were people who were willing to help and they, 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 they put their own lives at risk to help and out of that horrible time, people survived. People helped, people survived. And the messaging there is, we, you know, you've heard it all the time, never again. Mm -hmm. You can't have never again without remembering through story, without remembering through history, without remembering through reality that this did happen. Yep. It did occur. It's not made up by somebody. There were people with numbers tattooed on their arms. Uh, and there were people who were in Auschwitz, would boggles my mind about that is when you go and walk through that place and you look at the the um, gas chambers and you look at the ovens where bodies were cremated there had to be teams of engineers and people sitting around in a conference room looking at plans and diagrams with an end result in mind yep. tweaking and fine-tuning plans to make the process more efficient and that to me is a very scary concept when you when you consider that and you look at our world, not necessarily today, we had Pol Pot in Cambodia, we had other things going on in the world, to really make sure that that kind of thing doesn't happen again. Mm -hmm. And if it does start happening, whoa, hey, expose, expose, mm -hmm. you know? Yes. So. Yes, we, we and that's why these books are important. Mm -hmm. You yes. know, we, we, have, we have to feel that so that it is fresh, so that it is something that is understood by more than just than just our heads, but I hope what I hope what sets this book apart is even though there is so much darkness, um, as Ed was describing, there's so much darkness in that time. There's darkness in our time, you know, as well. But Stefania and Helena, they looked for 
the light. They looked for the light in the hidden places, and that is what they were able to find. And I hope that is what um, the story challenges all of us to do, is, is look toward that light. And I hope the book um, shows what is possible when we do that. What is possible when we make a small decision that leads to a more enormous decision, a more momentous decision. Those decisions changed the world. Helena and Stefania made that choice and the lives of 13 people and all those that came after them were saved. They were changed. And that that changed the world. What we do has the potential to change the world. And I hope that this book challenges us to do that. Um, I hope that this book is is a guidepost for that, for other people. Because it's not what I wrote, it's his mother's story mm-hmm. that she lived. Yeah. And that and that's the that's the important part. When my mom would be asked in an interview, why did you do this? Almost always she would say, Well, I did what I had to do. I did what was right. She did what was right. And that's an important thing. So a little shameless plug. You can edit it out or not. (laughs) Uh, As the steward of my parents' story, of my mom and Helena's story, it's important for me to keep this message going globally, to connect with not only young people, but people all over the world. Um, And I understood that with me being the steward, I have the information, I have the knowledge. There are bits and pieces of knowledge all over the place. Sharon coming into our lives to put the story into a a book, into a novel. There was a movie many years ago about her life made called Hidden in Silence. But all these disparate pieces, if I, when I die, Mm -hmm. it may die with me or it may not be as focused. So we started a foundation called the Steffi Foundation. One of her nicknames was Stefania, Stefusha, Fusha, in Poland, Stefa, in America, Steffi. So the Steffi Foundation as a vehicle to educate compassion, tolerance, and courage, and perpetuate the message that one thought, one act, one person can change the world www.thestephyfoundation.org I'll be sure to put that in the show notes so our listeners can access it and and another way that we're also uh, getting that message out there is through the audio book I want to be sure Mm. and and mention the audio book because this has been a very special project um, with the audio book the voice of Stefania um, was was read by a longtime friend of Stefania's um, Polish actress Beata Pozniak and she um, was actually a, she, she has been such a tremendous, um, not only actress and um, doing uh, television production and all the different things she has done. Um, she's also been an incredible active, activist for women's issues. Um, she was responsible for getting International Women's Day um, put that bill put through Congress and that is something that we still celebrate and one of the women yes yes in America and one of the people that she honored for Women's Day was Stefania Podgorska and so they were longtime friends 
Um, and it's been so special to work with her and have her bring Stefania's voice to life because she knew her yeah. so well and we're, we're so excited about the audiobook as well. The two of them are similar personalities. Stefania was bold and strong in a quiet way. Beata is bold and strong and in a loud way. <laughs> both of them, both of them were unstoppable. Um, Beato yes. is unstoppable in making and bringing Women's Day USA to the yes. United States through Congress. She was unstoppable in uh, in in bringing Stefania to a Women's Day event and, and memorializing her, commemorating her, and making her visible, which we very much appreciate. And it was really to have her be the voice of my mom was really special because she knew her. She knew her personality. Um, and so it was emotional for her, emotional for me. It's yes. just a wonderful thing that it came together that way. Yes, and we actually recorded a conversation, Beata and I did, for the end of the audiobook, oh, discussing awesome. discussing her relationship with Stefania and how how she and I met and um, all the different decisions that were made, you know, to uh, create this audiobook and and what it means to us that we were able to do that. And so I hope that'll be a great addition to it as well. Yeah, I'm so excited for people to read this book and listen to the audiobook. Sharon Ed, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank, thank you. you. Readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode from Overdrive.com, and our library friends can purchase these titles in Marketplace. Professional Book Nerds is proud to be an Evergreen Podcast signature program. To learn about other Evergreen podcasts, visit evergreenpodcasts.com. Our podcast is produced, recorded, and edited by Adam Sokol and Jill Grunewald and presented by Rakuten Overdrive. For more information, visit professionalbooknerds.com. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.